Listening to After the Encore, the music podcast that explores what happens after the music fades, what happens after the encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking to season one of The Voice semifinalist Cinna. She was a member of Team Blake. She finished second on Team Blake in season one. They did the team structure differently. You were competing against your own team, not against the entire field. That has since changed. Uh, Senna was somebody I was trying to get on Volume 2, This Is The Voice, back when I was originally putting these interviews together. Timing didn't work out at the time, but she has come on the show now, so we are retroactively adding her to the volume, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. She was 16 when she shocked the judges and became a contestant and a member of The Voice TV show. Her career, even though she's still very young, Overall, she has had quite the career, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. So stick around. I'll be right back with Cinna after this. You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I am here with Senna. And as I was telling you before we went live, I was a big fan of yours from the TV show, The Voice, which we're going to dig into for sure. Um, And I was listening to one of those pre-generated Spotify playlists like a couple of years ago, and I heard your track Home, and it was so incredible, and I went, Cinna, I, I feel like there's only one Cinna, but perhaps I'm wrong. And no, no, indeed, it is the same Cinna. Cinna, how are you doing today? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, there's a lot of really cool, interesting aspects of your journey that I think the listeners are really going to be tuned in for. And I'm excited to dig into those. But I do like to start off the episodes and really kind of get a sense of what something means to you. And in this case, that's something that we're here to talk about is music. And so I'd love to kind of peel back the layers of what it means to you and for you to just give me your perspective on music. So Senna, to formally ask it, what does music mean to you? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, it's funny because it's like, I feel like I talk about this all the time, but then when it comes to actually answering it, there's just so many things. Right. Um, I think for, for me, um, I don't know, it's just something that I've always felt really drawn to. Um, just something about the way like the stories in songs, um, the way you can just tell so many stories, you can talk about how you're feeling, you can talk about things that you've been through. Um, For me, it's just always been a way to express myself. I think Mm -hmm. I've always had a hard time expressing myself emotionally 
um, just because I tend to be kind of emotional or like if I talk about my feelings, I, I tend to cry. Sure. So writing in songs and singing it is just so much easy. It's so much easier to write than to actually verbally express it. So that's just something that I've always used to, to express myself and to um, share, share stories. Uh, the majority of my songs are usually about things that I went through or I'm struggling with. or um, So uh, I guess it's just been like an outlet. Yeah. Um, yeah. But. I really like that. The part that you talked about of your... It's an emotional outlet in the sense that it is easier at times to write down something that you're feeling that you want to get out, but it's difficult to verbalize it at times. And I think in having a conversation with someone um, or multiple someones, it can be very difficult to to really have the full weight of those words kind of, you know, on your right there coming out of your mouth and you're you're talking about it. But then when you're able to kind of put it down on paper, right? And then put music to it and really sing it, you're still getting to express the emotion and the feeling and the weight of those words, but you're able to convey it in a way which is empowering for you and then also empowering for the message you're trying to convey, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I think the, well said, the thing, the combination to of like lyrics with melody, you can say almost sometimes I feel like you can say so much more than what you would say if you spoke it. Yes. Um, yeah. Definitely. Well, that's, you know, that's, oh, that's a good, that's a good way to anchor this episode. I, I enjoy putting that at the beginning because I feel like it gives us some insight into who you are and what music ultimately has may has meant to you as a whole. And then it gives us a good starting point for the episode. So let's, let's kind of go now that we've got that uh, as our starting point, let's, let's go back a little bit and let's talk about your early life. So you're from California, right? Born and raised Temecula, if I'm correct, or is it? Yes. Temecula, Temecula. California. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've my whole life. Okay. Right on. So from California growing up, walk me through your kind of earliest exposures to music. Was it something where you were in a musical family? Was it something that um, you were gifted a musical instrument? What were some of those first um, um, interactions with music that caused you to start down this path? Um, I think, yeah, like my family has always, they've always been big on music, um, music fans, music listeners. My mom, uh, my mom loves to sing and she always, always sang us to sleep. Yeah. And so that was probably out of all my siblings, like my sister didn't like it. She would rather have been read to. And my brother was kind of like, Oh, okay. <laughs> but I was the one that like, I could not go to sleep if my mom did not sing me to sleep. And she would sing like three, four songs um, until I fell asleep. And I think ever since I could remember that just kind of, it always felt 
like soothing, just comforting. For some, I don't know. There's just something about it that I just I felt. Um, I just felt better going to sleep that way, and I think that's kind of where um, my love for it began. And and as I got older, I started to notice things about songs that were playing, or if my mom was playing a song in the in the car. Um, a certain melody or line that kind of just would stick out to me and would get stuck in my head and I'd sing it throughout the day and I never really thought too much about it my mom and dad were the ones who started asking me like oh like do you like to sing like when I was little and I'd be like yeah I guess like I don't know it just kind of was always like a part of what I was doing it just was like um yeah and then I started writing poems and songs when I, I wrote my first song when I was in uh, third grade. And um, that's kind of where I, my love for writing began. And yeah, just as I got older, um, I started listening to more songs. I had an older brother, so I was like copying his music and whatever he was listening to and, and kind of just grew from there. What were some of your earliest influences um, that you were listening to? You talked about you know, listening to some of your older brother's music, but what were some of those that really stood out to you, some of the artists that you were listening to? Um, at the time, it was like Augustana or Augustana, I'm not sure. Oh, my gosh, yes. Oh, Boston. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yes, Boston, that was one of my favorites. <laughs> that one is so good. <laughs> and I forget, like, the, the timeline that, because because you're talking to Augustana, and I'm just like, oh, my God, that's, that's like college right there for me. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I better, I, I can't say this stuff. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, oh, my yeah, God. Okay, but... so that kind of piano rock um, that was really, yeah. like, that was super popular. You had Augustana, you had F- The Fray, you had, obviously, like, Coldplay, oh, yeah, right? But The Fray. But The Fray, Augustana. I know that there is another, Keen, of course, but Keen was, um, you know, kind of piano, drums, and, and bass, and less of the rock aspect of Augustana. Sorry, this is the genre that I absolutely love because there's so much <laughs> variety in it, right? But, oh, mm-hmm. but anyways, back to you. So Augustana was one of the one of the groups that you were listening to, for <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. So when that was from, yeah. The, so Augustana, and then there was like James Blunt that I really oh, liked. Yeah. I just loved how, just so much, just really emotional, really like, just pouring your heart out into songs. And I love that about James Blunt. He was always so, he wasn't afraid to just write whatever he wanted or whatever he was feeling. Um, and then a big one for me is when I. Uh, that was uh, was John McLaughlin. Um, he he pretty much kind of one of his songs was the one that ignited that fire um, in me for for wanting to actually pursue music one day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so interesting. The you know, I, I it's. I can hear these different groups and artists in the music that you make. Like I can hear a little bit of Augustana. I can hear a little bit of James Blunt. Like I can hear a a little bit of each of these individuals. Um, But yet you've taken kind of the core essence of what you appreciated about their music and you've really Mm -hmm. infused it into your own song. So it's a hundred percent Senna. 
with regards to the musical stylings and trappings. Um, and I absolutely love that. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's the mark of any, any great artist, right? Is that you want to take what you love about something and go, what, what is it about it? Whether it's a song or a poem or a book, right? If you're an author or whatever, what do I like? The, and asking the question, what is it that I love so much about this? And then peeling it back and kind of almost taking a bit of a scientific approach to it and then putting it back together and reshaping it into something that uh, resembles your own outlook on, on the art is, is incredible. Yeah. yeah. I love yeah. that. Uh, I think that's funny. Yeah. I never, it's, it's funny because I never really realized until now that we're talking about it. It's like, yeah, that's true because I think growing up I listened to them so much like studied their songs and their lyrics and it was I mean CDs were still right. what you went and out and bought so <laughs> like the lyric books you know going through the lyric books yes. and reading them and and um, it's been so long I feel like since those artists had their like big moments so now like talking about them bringing them back up it's like oh yeah like that's funny that there, there is I can see how my music could fit into a similar category of style. Um, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. I didn't, it's, I didn't really think about it. <laughs> well, that's what, that's why I love doing these because I think, you know, um, not being a musician, but being an artist in my own way, it, it allows me to kind of appreciate the creative process, but have a little bit of an outside perspective to look at an entire body of work. And then when I hear these influences, be able to say, okay, this makes sense why you're writing this way or performing or crafting a song in this way. I love that. Was there, yeah. was there specific musicians, uh, musicians, um, musical instruments that you were learning? Did, you know, we talked about piano. Was piano something that you were picking up and, and practicing and playing? Was it guitar? Um, was there anything that ever really interested you from an instrument perspective? Um, you know, that's funny because I always mainly just liked to write and I did like the idea of playing instruments, but it never really was like the main, like, oh, I really want to, you know, learn to play this or that. Sure. Um, so I, I was put into guitar lessons when I was about six years old and my, my parents all had us like all, you know, in a, in a different, like pick an instrument mm -hmm. and I picked the guitar and I was only in guitar lessons for like a year and I just, I did not like to practice and I mean, I was six, so it's like, right. I just didn't, I didn't like to do it. Right. So it, it wasn't until I was like. 11 or 12 where when my brother was still playing the piano and he had a keyboard and I just started messing around with it and I just loved the sound and I liked that I could listen to a song and it was so much easier to kind of find mm. the notes that went along with it versus figuring out frets and strings right so I started um, like practicing copying songs just by listening to it and then it kind of was only 
here and like here and there that I'd, I'd play the piano but then once I was 14 I picked up the guitar again and actually taught myself how to play and 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 uh, took the piano more seriously so I was about 14 or 15 when I really like learned so I learned the piano and the guitar around the same time like okay. officially that makes yeah. sense and you you talked about your older brother and you've talked about having a family where every every kid was picking an instrument are are you from a fairly large family um no not really it's just it was my parents and my older brother and my little sister okay and me yeah so just three just two okay. siblings gotcha gotcha yeah. okay Cool. First, I had this vision in my head of like the Partridge family and was like, I don't think that's right, but I'm just <laughs> going to clarify. That's funny. Yeah, no, I wish. I, I, we always wanted to have more siblings. but Right. <laughs> that's yeah. awesome. Well, I love that. Well, as we're getting ready to kind of wrap up, because I think the interesting thing about your career with, um, whereas other folks on this volume, um, they've had, you know, most of their life before, well, I say most of their life. They had, you know, gone through high school and a lot of them college and some in like Tony Lucas case, a pretty full career before before getting on The Voice, whereas you kind of got on The Voice pretty early. Um, and so mm -hmm. we're going to we're going to go through that in the next segment. But I think uh, as we're closing out this segment, um, I would love for you to tee us up um, and just kind of let us know how did you first even hear about this show that had never even existed yet? called The Voice. Because for those listening, Senna was on the very first season of The Voice ever. Yeah. It, I mean, wow, that sounds crazy because there's like 19 seasons yeah. now. So it's yeah. like, wow, it sounds like it's a long time ago. <laughs> right. But um, yeah, it's really interesting because I, I was 15, almost 16 when I found out about it. Or no, I had just turned... 16 the month before and it was kind of at the point of my life where I was like, okay I was very shy very quiet um, Only my family knew that I sang other than that. It was like nobody had any idea because I mainly played sports in high school. Yeah, so um, I was like, okay there I have there has to be a way that I can kind of start to sing start to do something and we used to love American Idol, but I always was like, okay that doesn't happen to people like me. That's right. like just those people, like right, right. not me. So I was kind of just Googling. And at the time, like I was big on Googling. I'd Google everything. And I was like Googling singing auditions or um, competitions and all kinds of stuff like that. And I couldn't find anything. So then a couple of weeks went by and I made a Twitter because I think Twitter just like been a started to be like a thing and yeah. um i just started following random people because i didn't know really how it worked and sure. um and i ended up following some random guy that was p uploading covers on youtube mm -hmm. and he posted one day saying oh like wish me luck everybody tomorrow i'm going to be auditioning for this brand new show called The Voice on NBC. And I was like, what's that? And like, I clicked the link because he put like a link. Right. 
and I clicked on it, and it was just like a one-page uh, website <laughs> with like NBC's new competition show, you know, The Voice, kind of like explaining a little bit about it. It didn't say it was on TV, though. It just said competition. Right. <laughs> so I thought it was like like in a room. I don't know. I honestly don't even know what I thought. Sure, but right. I didn't think it was on TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And... Um, and I ended up looking up the dates, and there was one last date, which was two days. So it was a Wednesday when I saw that, and the audition was on a Friday. Wow. And it was the last audition in L.A. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I have to go. And I, I asked my mom to take me, and we went. And there we go. Well, we'll pick it up from there. You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. Gonna turn you around. You can't believe it, but you can't run from the sound of your melodies growing inside of us. The harmonies chasing you down. So just surrender, 'cause it's a part of you now. You're listening to After the Encore. Welcome back. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm here with Senna. And now, uh, this is The Voice, but we don't know it's The Voice because it's just a one-pager on a website. doesn't really give us a lot of information. We're not sure what it is. It might exist. It might be a hoax. We don't know. But we're going to L.A. to audition on a Friday after seeing it on a Wednesday. <laughs> so, so <laughs> I just I think when you when you talked about asking your mom to drive you. I'm thinking about when I was 16, if I had asked my parents to drive me to, so I live, you know, I'm here in Texas. So if I had been like, you know, let's drive down to Austin, there's this thing I want to audition for. They'd be like, yeah, that's, that's cool. We're not, we're not going to do that. I mean, like, I don't know. I'm speaking for my parents. Maybe they would have been yeah. supportive, but that's what I, that's where I go to and think about. Um, so, but your mom drove you down there. So walk us through what it was like once you got there. Obviously, this is a kind of open casting call. Um, but but the thing about the voice is we don't we as the audience don't see this aspect. So it's not like American Idol where you see the thousands and thousands of people in line and then going through the producer tents and you don't see any of that. You just see when someone gets on stage. So what was that process like for you, especially with it being that very first season? Um, yeah, so I remember 
Yeah, when I first got there, there was a lot of people for sure. I mean, not like nowadays. I mean, it's in the tens and mm-hmm. hundred thousands. Who knows? They're in like large stadium-sized places. But this was like a small, um, like rehearsal space kind oh, wow. of, and. There was, I mean, there was definitely probably a couple, couple thousand people, and there was just a long line wrapping around this building, and we got there a couple hours earlier than the time uh, that you were supposed to check in, thinking like, okay, let's be a couple hours early. You know, there's no one's gonna be there, but there's already like a lot of people there, <laughs> so we ended up just standing in line and waited. I waited about four hours to get into the check-in area, and then once I checked in, I think it was about another hour, maybe two, until I actually auditioned. Wow. So it wasn't a crazy wait, because I feel like now people wait like 12 hours just to audition. So it was definitely not that long, but... um, but yeah, I just remember seeing a bunch of people and there was like super talented people like pra- practicing their songs, playing the guitar. Some people were just like, like everyone was singing and warming up and I was just standing there awkwardly in the crowd and I was like, oh my goodness, no, they're not going to pick me. Right. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to make it. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's um, go through. So I know that, you know, if folks have listened to any of the other episodes on on this volume you know they understand that there's a couple different rounds of uh, auditions typically with with different producers so was that something that you had experienced as well obviously there is a vetting process before you get to tv and get on stage to sing your incredible blind audition song break even but what were those how many rounds of auditions did you go through and was this a multi-day process what was that like um, yeah, so there was that first, the first audition, which is just, you know, you're in the room with a few other people and a producer, and if you made it, you had to come back the next day to do, like, the callback. So then I made it through that first one, I had to come back the next day, and they have you dress, like, more camera-ready. Sure. Because then they videotaped this one, so then the second interview is being videoed, and now you're in front of two or three producers. And then they did like a little practice interview to see how you like interview on camera. Uh, and then from that audition, you just, they send you home and they say, okay, like, great job. We will contact you in two to three weeks if you're moving forward. And then they send you home and you have to wait a long long two three weeks just waiting to see if you made it and then they ended up calling me about two weeks later and saying like you know congratulations you made it past the that on to the next round and that next round was where they would fly everybody they flew about 300 people to LA well I mean I didn't fly but sure just everybody would yeah meet back in LA Um, And this is, they told you, pack six weeks worth of clothes because if you keep making the rounds, you're just going to stay. Right. 
And then if you don't make it, you go home. So me and my mom, uh, since I was a minor, I had to have a parent. My dad worked. <laughs> right. And stayed with like my sister and my brother. So me and my mom ended up packing our stuff and we went to L.A. And then we were there at the hotel for, um, I mean, until I was pretty much off of the show. Yeah. But um, so on, there was like three more rounds though after that at the hotel you're like going to different executive auditions and then you get eliminated like that evening and then another round and then the next day they give you like two days to practice a song and then you go in again with like just it kind of like you're slowly going through the levels of like people like higher ups right um yeah and then basically the last cutoff they went from 300 to like 180 in one like in one night and they just split Jeez. everybody up in two rooms so they were like calling people and saying okay your room a your room b your room a your room b and they're splitting everybody up and then the executives would like walk in and just tap people on the shoulder and they're like go outside go to the next room. I, it was so weird. And then then when they were done, they were like, all right, everybody in this room, you're safe. You're moving on to the next round. Wow. That doesn't mess with your mind at all. <laughs> yeah, it, everybody was freaking out. They're like, don't come up to... Like, we didn't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing right. that we had to stay in the room. Or, But yeah, so yeah, it was, it was pretty crazy. And then obviously as you're... Um, that was probably like a three week process in the hotel and throughout the three weeks you're going to like a bunch of meetings and doing like tests, behavioral tests and like right. psychological tests and a bunch of, you know, all the stuff they got to do. Yeah. To make sure that you're yeah. good to be on TV. Well, once you, so you've gotten past all of that and I know that from, um, talking with other folks when you get to the point where you're going to be on tv for the blind audition you've got a book of or a list of songs that you can choose from what made you choose uh break even um obviously it's right in your wheelhouse based on the influences and the stylings that we talked about um in the last segment but i'm curious as to what drove you to choose that song in the first place um i chose break even because okay so it was actually the song i auditioned with um, the first time, my first, oh, very okay. first producer audition, I auditioned with that song. And they gave me a list, and it was on there, and I was thinking, okay, well, I'll pick something else. And one of the producers actually came up to me and said, hey, they really like you when you sing Break Even. Because I sing it for two of the auditions. They made me sing it over and over again. Um, So on top of like... I would audition with that song and then they'd make me sing a different song. But that song was like every single time. And so they say, Hey, they really like break even. Do you mind doing that song again? And I was like, no, like it's, I know it so well, it's easy for me. So right. I don't have to like worry about practicing anything new. So yeah. So they, they just um, asked if I wanted to do that one. I said, of course. And yeah, so it kind of worked out really well that way. I love that. So you've gotten, so you're on the show, you've, you've gone through your blind audition and you have both CeeLo and Blake who turn in order to have you on their team. What made you decide, obviously the TV shows what it shows, but what made you decide to go with Blake versus CeeLo in that situation? 
I chose Blake because he was just sounded so much more genuine hmm. um, when I was listening to the both of them. Um, CeeLo was kind of short with why he wanted me to go with him. It was kind of like, oh, good job. And I was like, okay. And then <laughs> Blake actually went into like, you know, he, how much he liked my voice and that he, you know, believed in me and wanted to help me and, and stuff like that. And yeah, he just seemed more sincere and they give you about like 30 seconds. Like there's like a timer that you you can see like a countdown. Oh, wow. So it's like super stressful and you're up and you're like, oh my goodness, I have 10 seconds to <laughs> make a huge decision right. that I have no idea like how this is going to go. <laughs> and yeah, you kind of just have to go with your gut and it just felt right. And I was like, I didn't even know who Blake was. Um, a yeah. lot of us didn't. And so I was like, I either picked this strange man or CeeLo. <laughs> and I was like, okay, Blake. <laughs> it ended up being the best thing I ever did. Yeah. Well, I think that you bring up a good point, though, with regards to Blake. Because I think if you're not, I mean, I, you know, it's easy to think about Blake now. And Blake's everywhere. Blake Shelton, like, I mean, I'm, I would, you would be hard-pressed to find someone that does not know who he is at this point in time. But that was not mm -hmm. always the case. And if you weren't a huge country music fan, um, it was pretty difficult to kind of pick him out of a crowd, so to speak. Um, right. Whereas you've got people like Christina and Adam Levine and CeeLo that have really transcended pop music throughout the years. And then you've got Blake that is really that was really just in country. And then, of course, with the exposure of The Voice, along with other projects, he's everywhere. But but that's it's a good point of daunting to be like, well, I, well, I've got this guy I've got no clue of who sounds super genuine. I hope he's good. I've got no clue. Or I've got CeeLo, <laughs> right. Uh, right, who I know, but I'm not sure is as as into me as, you know, he may not be that into me kind of a thing. Um, whereas yeah. the other guy is. So, no, but obviously, I mean, you made the right choice with regards to that. And we'll just kind of, you know, there's a lot here. There's a lot of your experience, but one thing that I think is really interesting about the show, the voice, especially in the first season was it felt very, um, truncated, uh, compared to even just season two, um, and moving forward, you know, there was a lot of fast eliminations, obviously with the battle round where you won, um, over Sarah singing, I'll stand by you. Um, you were chosen by Blake to advance in, in one of the live rounds and eventually losing out um, in the semi. Well, so let me, so let me, let me craft this for those who may not be familiar and, and, or who may be only familiar with the voice. Now, when the voice very first started out, they did this in season one and season two, you didn't compete against everybody until the very end. Mm. You you competed against the people that were on your team. So while you're on Team right. Blake, you were competing against uh, the eventual finalist of Team Blake, Dia Frampton, um, as well as everybody else that Blake had chosen. Whereas in the current, uh, I don't know what it, the most recent one is. I would assume it was the case. But starting in season three, the only time you're competing against other folks on your team is the battle rounds and the knockout rounds. And then once you're in the live rounds, you're just competing against everybody and they're eliminating right. a set number of people per episode. So you could have a scenario and there have been where you're in the final night and two, one or two coaches don't have anybody in the finals. Whereas in the first two seasons, mm. they want to make sure everybody had representation in the final. So just to, just yeah. setting the table. But I want to know you were obviously one of the strongest competitors in the entire competition. And I, I think, 
I think about how you would have stacked up had you not been competing against directly against Dia, who was doing so well mm. in her own right. What were some of your perspectives on how, um, how do I want to frame this? Um, what are some of your perspectives in competing against the entire field, um, but really directly competing against the rest of Team Blake, including Dia? What was that? How was that like for you to kind of get um, get your mind right for that type of competition, I guess, is maybe the best way to say it. Um, you mean in the sense of like, I'm competing with my own team. Yeah. Like, as opposed not to having to really compete with anybody else. Right. And so it's like, you see everybody else, but you're not, you're not trying. I mean, obviously you're trying to be the best, the best you can be in the best one overall, but it's less about like with the current iteration where you're trying to be the best out of the entire field. Now you're only trying yeah. to be so good kind of a thing. And I don't mean that in a, in a negatory way um, or a negative way. Um, but it's, I think, I think this is why the voice changed it because I got frustrated in seeing strong singers such as yourself get knocked out when I felt you deserve to go further versus maybe, folks on different teams or whatever. Um, but that's neither here nor there. So I'm curious as to how you approached it of, well, eventually mm -hmm. I need to be the best one, but for right now, I just have to be better than these folks on my team. Yeah. Okay. I see. Yeah, it was. And that's funny. Cause like, it was something that a lot of us would talk about. It's like, okay, we're teammates but we're not yes. teammates. Like we're actually competing right. against each other. It's like, we're on the same team, but we want to like, and I, I'm rooting for you, but I want to beat you kind of thing. Right. You gotta be the last one standing. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And I remember we, we, a lot of us didn't really like the fact that they were just cutting everybody like evenly across right. the board just because one, I mean, they're eliminating like four people. Yeah. It was a lot time. Yeah. And on top of that, like it, I, we didn't think it was like super fair, like you were saying, kind of, there could be somebody that, you know, was great, but because they had to pick somebody, they're going home. Yeah. And, um, it was a little bit frustrating because obviously there was nothing we could do about it. And I think there was like more pressure of, because it's like, well, we know one of us is going home. Like right. Someone has to go home and we could have both killed it, but it's either you or me kind of thing. And it's like, where now you have more time to prove yourself. You have more time to like give great performances. And whereas in the first season, it was like, it almost felt like, all right, you got this one shot. Yeah. Or you're going home. Right. It's very much, it doesn't give you the opportunity to, to grow and to have a bad performance mm -hmm. that you can learn from. It's like you either nail it or you're gone kind of a thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that was very stressful every single week. It was like, everybody was just really stressed all the time. And a lot of, there was one week where almost everybody was sick and they were freaking out because they had to obviously perform in a couple of days and everyone was like in bed sick and, having to practice and do like all of the B-roll and interviews and um, yeah, there wasn't, I wish, I really do wish we would have had that, sim that same experience that they do now. Right. Um, 
but unfortunately that was not the case. I think, I mean, I I think I can kind of get it from a, from a show perspective in that they're trying to make a show that feels completely and utterly different than the one it's going to be most compared to um, American Idol and American Idol. You do have people that are there week after week um, that have the opportunity to, kind of learn and grow and they wanted something that was radically different, but I think they've, they eventually figured out the right formula for, for that. Um, because yeah, I do, you know, I I do hear stories about the folks who are on the, the, the newer, like the newer team dynamics and they're very close with the people they're on the team with because they're learning from each other and they're teaching, they're growing. They don't feel like they're sealing their own fate by, you know, working with somebody else kind of a thing. Um, right. Yeah. But what was um, what was one of the more interesting or memorable moments that you had being with your time on the show? Good question. Um, the most memorable. I don't I don't even know. Honestly, like the whole thing was so memorable. I think maybe I mean, obviously for me, I was 16. I never ever in my life would have imagined myself in a situation like that. So, just being on the stage performing and being on television and being treated like an artist, I think was just mind-blowing. For me, it was like, "Oh my goodness, I there's no way that this is happening to me. Right. Like I was just in class, like going to school <laughs> and now I'm here and it was, it's just bizarre. It was bizarre. So I think just everything as a whole was so, so special that I honestly don't even think I could pick one specific thing, but if I had to, Honestly, it was probably just the relationship that I got to build week after week with Blake. Mm. I think that was a really unique experience um, and how how supportive he was and how much he put into um, helping me and giving, you know, helping me build confidence and Uh, be a better artist and just like just as a friend like it wasn't even it was I think that was you know getting to you know he took me and Dia that one episode in his private jet to Cincinnati and it was like what like this is crazy (laughs) I think that's one of my favorite time like moments is the first time I I, like I got to go on a private jet like that was the coolest thing ever and um that is yeah. really cool. And you bring up a good point that I know that other, you know, out of the other folks that have been on here, there's two other people, Michael, Michael Lee and uh, Cole Vosbury, who are also part of Team Blake. And they shared, have shared similar stories about just the genuineness of, of Blake. Not to say that others aren't, but just the, the lengths of which he will go to make sure that you the individual feel comfortable in a crazy situation that you feel taken care of and that you feel like you've got what you need in order to be successful kind of a thing and yeah and i think that's kind of you know i I know i brought up before but i think that's the 
unspoken advantage that he's had that's allowed him to be so successful on the show is that bond that he forms with his his teammates, you know, um, or team members that right. he's got. But I think it's super interesting. I, you know, and and let's not discount the fact that you had a couple a couple of um, renditions of songs that you did on the show were on the Billboard Hot 100 for a for a period of time. I mean, that's mm. that's crazy that you that you, yeah. you did that. I mean, like so so I mean, you're talking about being in a crazy situation. You're talking about being 16 and being on the show and being treated like, you know, artistic royalty, so to speak, and you've got these songs that are cha- you know, chart, you know, um chart topping well, breaking onto the Hot 100 chart and that's insane. What was what was the response like from your friends and classmates and other people at home who had zero idea that you were as good of a singer as you are. Everyone was really shocked, um, especially <laughs> my classmates, because I was always very quiet. Sure. And one day I just left and didn't come back to school, and they thought like I moved or something. <laughs> they were just like, "We thought like, where'd she go? Like she just never came back one day." Right. And then they like saw me on TV, and they're like that's where she went like what (laughs) and um yeah it's the response is crazy people act so interesting in situations like that i think um you know especially coming from like a small town like temecula is super small and and you basically grew up with everybody there and um everybody was even people that weren't really like my friends they're like oh like that's my best friend or trying to bring up like memories remember when we did this and it was like (laughs) and all kinds of things and yeah people people were really excited and i think it was like wow like nobody knows about temecula and no one ever does anything right and i think they were just excited that like some there was like somebody talking about temecula Yeah. yeah finally yeah i uh i totally agree and um you know it's uh it's it's just interesting michael lee who's also been on this show is from my hometown here in texas and so when i saw him on i was like oh wait a minute hey hey hold on a second (laughs) i know that down (laughs) so it's just uh, i totally totally identify with that and it's um it's really interesting well as we're wrapping up this segment and we start going into your career post the voice um over the last nine years um I want to know what was what was it like what was the experience like for you to be in the semifinals and be so close to that final performance but just miss out right at the end what were you walk us through your kind of state of mind in the moment and then the immediate aftermath as we wrap this up Um yeah the the semifinals I remember what I I was really stressed that day specifically and it was definitely one of the tougher performances for me because I was really struggling with the song. Um, I sing a man who can't be moved or the man who can't be moved and I did pick it, (laughs) but I regretted it very quickly. And there was, I mean, by the time I, I wanted to change the song, it was already too late. Mm. And so they'd already proved it. And I'd already done like one of the practices on camera. So it was like, you're stuck with that. Right. And I remember like I cried and I was like, I don't want to do this song. Like I was crying with my mom and I was like, I hate this song. 
was like, I can't. Um, at the time, I mean, I didn't really have that much experience, I guess, using my voice in certain ways. And there was a part in the song where for some reason I just could not like reach the note. And mm. I remember I was like, I'm going to embarrass myself out there. And I was so mad. And I ended up talking to Blake and I was like, I feel like, what should I do? I feel like I can't breathe by the time I get to the chorus. And he was like, take a bigger breath. <laughs> He's like, try taking a bigger breath. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's that easy. Right. And so that it was so the simplest thing. And it was like, it did help a lot. But I remember that day I was already just kind of bummed out and stressed. And yeah. I had, I had, um, there had been a couple of things behind the scenes that were going on that didn't help the situation just a lot of like conflict and so much that goes on that obviously like the you know the audience doesn't see um and i just remember i was like okay well i'm already here all i can do is do my best and i went out there and i remember like if you i don't know if like you see the footage now like i look angry and i definitely was (laughs) and people were always people like would comment like is she mad and i was like i was mad (laughs) Um, and then, yeah, but yeah, it was, I remember like after that performance, I was like, oh, I'm probably going to go home. I didn't do good. I was so sad, but, um, I think that's the performance I least enjoyed only because I was so in, like in my head and letting all these things stress me out instead of like going out and just enjoying my, what was last performance. I, I was just bitter about it, but yeah. No, I totally, I totally understand the, the getting in your own head and not kind of being able to separate what's going on, you know, in, in your brain, um, with just being able to give it your all. It, it, it can be extremely frustrating and, you know, to put a bow on this portion in the segment for those who aren't aware, I guess, spoiler alert, it's nine years or over nine years at this point, but Javier Cologne from team Adam ends up winning it. Dia Frampton from team Blake comes in second. And, you know, it's, um, it's really interesting because I think, and this is relevant as we're going into the last segment is, you know, you have a show like the voice where, you know, they, yes, it's a music competition. Yes, there are artists on the show, but at the end of the day, it is a TV show, right? And so mm-hmm. they're, they're wanting to make yeah. the best possible product um, as a TV station. And so they want you to care about these artists. They want you to care about the stories. Um, and then when the season's over, it's like, cool, we got another one coming. So, you know, we're going to turn out a fresh, fresh new batch of contestants kind of a thing. And it can be hard, I think, to... I think in general, as an artist, speaking from my own perspective, it can be difficult to stand out in an ever-changing and ever-evolving field. Um, And I think it can also be difficult to find your way when you do have a blast of exposure, however short, but on such a national stage. Um, And then it can be kind of hard to kind of recalibrate um, when it's over and figure out the best way forward. because while well, I remember the season fondly because I followed it and was, you know, really engaged with it, a lot of folks have no idea when I name drop Senna and Javier Cologne and Dia Frampton, they're like, who? Um, but during the time, it was like, oh, I know exactly who they are, kind of kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, 
but but we're going to dig into that in the next segment. Um, you're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and we'll be right back after this. I've known my days without you I've seen myself alone There's no one else beside you I've tried so hard, so hard I won't let you down Thrown in my heart, my heart And you've stolen the crown Anywhere you are, I'll go Follow you into the dark Welcome back to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and I'm here with Cinna. And now let's talk about what the last nine years of your career has been since <laughs> since your time on The Voice. Like, no big deal. Um, just the last nine years. We're going to recap in like 15, 20 minutes. Um, but... Um, if I recall correctly, you were signed to Universal Republic for for a short period of time after The Voice. Is that correct, or am I misremembering some of my facts and figures? Yes, yeah, I got okay. I got signed to Universal um, uh, right after I got eliminated. Okay, so what was yeah. that experience? Because you released a uh, four song EP under them, correct? Yeah. Okay. That that October, I released a four song. Th- no. I can't remember, but yes, that year. Okay. I released a four song EP. That's right. So, what was that experience like um, being part of them? So, you were you were um, signed to there. Was it for was it per record? Was it per year? What was the? Um, I guess it doesn't end up mattering, but I'm trying to get a an anchor on a timeline um, because obviously because you're at a point where you're you're not signed with Universal now. Um, but let's do this. Let's. Um, what was the experience like? Um, now having been on the show and then getting signed to the label and then working on that EP and then eventually releasing it, what was that whole experience like for you um, at that point in time? Are you still 16 or have have you turned 17? What's that like for you? I was still 16 because uh, my birthday is in December. Okay. So, um, so I was about to be 17 at the end of the year, but... Um, yeah, so as soon as I got off the show, they have like a 30-day window where I guess if no one, no management company or label picks you up, then Universal can pick me up because they had a deal specifically with NBC. So I guess they just had to wait like a 30-day period. Okay. But they ended up telling me the day after I got eliminated that they wanted to sign me. Oh, nice. So, yeah, so that was amazing because... As soon as I, I was off the show, like I, I had an opportunity, um, that was amazing. So I ended up signing with them, and just we just went straight into making the EP because they wanted to keep with that momentum, um, 
and they didn't want anything to you know settle down too much before they they did anything so it was like a super fast process went in met everybody signed the deal pretty much did all the paperwork and it was like all right let's get started and uh, they just sent me a bunch of songs from different songwriters and they they had me pick my favorites out of all the songs and then I'd go in and kind of like do a, a, a session see if I liked it how it felt how it sounded on my voice kind of went from there and ended up forming the four song EP which is Sing You Home right. and and we shot a music video on my birthday, actually, <laughs> uh, which was December 17th. We shot the music video for Sing You Home, which was probably the best, the coolest birthday gift because <laughs> it was like, what? Like, I'm turning 17, and for my birthday, I get to do a music video on, like, one of the world's biggest labels. I was just, it was just a dream come true right. and um yeah and then actually like that after the music video um i ended up going to dinner with blake um and miranda who he was married to at the time right. and we had like a celebratory like birthday uh wrapping of the music video celebration um and yeah and i can't remember when the ep came out at all but uh, I think it was December 20th, 2011. Uh, I can't remember. I, all of that was like, it happened so fast. It's all sure. blur. But. Yeah, it, it looks like it was released December, December 2011. So I believe December 20th, but that it oh. might be a little like a day here or there, but. Yeah. But right okay. there. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and so, and I remember, like, when the EP came out, just, like, I was up all night, me and my family, and uh, Blake, we all stayed up just waiting to see how, like, I would do on the charts, right. and it was, a, we would, like, we were sending each other screenshots every, like, five minutes as, like, I was going up the charts, and I still have the screenshot of one where I was, I was, it was Rihanna... No, it was Adele. Yeah, it was Rihanna, Adele, and then me oh. on the pop charts. <laughs> I was third, and I was like, That's good no company. way am I right under Adele. Like, it was just crazy. And then overall, like the... So on the pop charts, I was third, and overall, like on the overall charts, I think I got to like 10. And I remember That's I was just incredible. Like, this is incredible. It's like how, and it was probably like one of the best days ever. Um, and so, it was definitely a great way to turn seventeen. Like, yeah, I can imagine. But, that's that's absolutely incredible. It's got to be such a rush, such a like a high feeling of accomplishment at that point in your life and in your career and everything. And let's, you know, kind of fast forward a little bit. What was it like? Where, I guess, where did you go or where did the label even want to go from there? Um, were there discussions of working on a full album? Um, what, what was the, what was the dialogue like at that time? Um, yeah. So they, the label did talk about wanting to continue, uh, 
and they wanted to work on more things. They wanted to um, develop me a little bit more as an artist since I was so young. And they were always very clear about like, okay, we don't do artist development anymore. It's kind of going out like out of style. Like we're not doing that. But because of your unique situation, you know, coming off of the voice, being so young and and I think just the response that they saw from people, um, they were like, okay, let's try and see where this goes. And so the EP did great. And I think that really got them excited. Um, but it kind of all slowly went downhill when I was, I was really, this is something, I mean, I still to this day, sometimes I'm like, oh. But, I mean, I know it's part of the growing and learning process, but I was really stubborn and very... I, I didn't know who I wanted to be as an artist. Sure. I really didn't. Like, I knew what kind of music I loved. I knew the way that I wrote songs, um, which at the time I wasn't... They wanted me to work with other producers and songwriters to start, like, practicing my art, my uh, writing, but they didn't want me to release any of my originals yet because... Um, they thought it was too risky. Mm. So I was like very, I still hadn't really gotten over a lot of like my insecurities about like my writing and my music. And I think it was a constant battle between me and the label on what direction they wanted me to go in and the direction that I wanted to go in. And gotcha. now looking back, I'm like, it was a great direction they had for me. But the, the, the me that was then was like, no, like, I want this, and I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to stand my ground. Right. <laughs> and they, you know, they would say, like, oh, like, we want you to be like Adele. You know, we want we want you to be like our American, you know, version of Adele. Or um, right. They even brought up Selena Gomez, which I thought was random, but they were like, either Adele or Selena Gomez or, like, Nora <laughs> Jones. Which is so different, but right. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I remember thinking, well, I don't want to be any of those people. Right. And they're like, well, you got to be one of them. And I was like, well, I don't want to. So I think in my head, I was like, I don't want to be who they want to make me. Yeah. And I just started to kind of put up a fight about everything. Um, and at the same time, I mean, there were things that they kind of dropped the ball on a lot of things. Um, and then I did on some, I think honestly, just, it was both sides kind of just, it ended up just not being the best fit sure. because I, I didn't really know what I was doing at all. And they weren't in the place where they really wanted to help me figure it out. It was kind of like, all right, pick, pick one of these things that we have for you. And it's either that, like, take it or leave it kind of. Yeah. Um, so and that can that, be difficult. That was a big bummer for yeah. me because I had finally reached, like, oh, like, I thought my dreams had come true. And as I learned more about the industry and the way that things worked, I think I got a little bit disappointed in how there's not really, like, you don't really have much of a say yeah. um, in your own art. Yeah. And, you know, it's... <laughs> It is a business, right? And at the end of the day, and so there's a right. lot of things that get skipped over, or glossed over with regards to that. And it's, it's tough. Um, it's definitely tough. And so I wonder, so now that you are, um, 
an independent artist, um, uh, I want to know how has the, cause there's a lot of different stuff we could dip into from the song perspective, but overarching is what I want to focus on. And I want to know what has the creative process been like for you since that time. And, uh, in addition to that, what lessons are you still working on and, and learning and growing from? Um, can you repeat that first half? Of the yeah, question? no, totally. So now being an independent artist, what have you really been focusing on from, I guess this is probably a better way to say it. Um, as an independent artist, what have you been focusing on from a artistic perspective with the music? And then in addition to that part, what lessons have you been learning either about yourself or about the business that you've kind of been working on? in the instance. So it's, it's kind of the twofold part. It's what's the, been the creative process like for you. And then also what have you been focusing on from a business perspective as well? Pretty much since between, so since I left the label to now, so like the last pretty much eight years, I, it's been like a long long windy journey to figure out what I want to do as an artist and who I want to be as an artist um I think I, I got thrown into everything so young that I had to learn the industry in a matter of like months right and and then getting signed to a huge label it's like they almost expect you to already know what you want when it's like, I'm six, like I'm 16. I, I was just born basically. Right. Like I have no idea. Yeah. And there's just a lot of pressure to grow up and to figure things out. And it's like everything had a time limit and it's like, okay, you have this amount of time, hurry up. And it was like, and I remember like when I was about to turn 18, like the label was like, Oh, like you're going to be 18 soon. Like you're getting old, like figure it out. <laughs> And I was like stressed <laughs> out thinking I was old at 18. Right. Oh my and God. And like, um, and so it was, and, and just a lot of comparing myself and like, okay, well, I want to be like this, this artist or this artist. And, and it took me a lot, a lot of situations and a lot of, uh, you know, go like being a part of companies and then leaving companies and managements and all kinds of stuff to finally figure out, okay, yeah, what do I want to do? You know, like stop comparing myself to someone else. Stop looking, you know, to my left and my right to see what people are doing, how to get people's attention. Like what kind of music do I want to make? What do I want to say? And what do I want it to sound like? Right. And it was finally after like now, I think eight years later that I finally figured out like, I just need to do what feels right to me when it comes to my music, um, regardless yeah. of what anybody else is doing. Because whether I make it or not, at, at least I'm enjoying my own art. Versus, because there was a, there was a a big portion of my career where I was like making things based off of okay, what's in? Mm. What are people listening to right now? Yeah. So like. How can I make it sound like that? How can I make it sound like catchy in that way? And 
And it was just song after song that I was, I didn't even like. And I'd release the song and then be like, I'm not even proud to promote it because it's not that it's a bad song. I just don't feel like it represents me properly. Right. Yeah. Um, That's a good point so, that, you, that you bring up. Yeah. Yeah. So it just took a lot of, a lot of, uh, I think, making those mistakes and, and, uh, to, to figure out really like what I had to do. And I think I always, you know, I'm about, I'm going to be 26 at the end of this year. And I think, man, like, I think it's, it's easy to think, oh, all this time I wasted, or I could have been doing this, or I should have done this, or I can't believe I was 16 and now I'm I'm almost 26. Like all the time that I've spent, what have I done? But honestly, I think everything obviously worked out exactly as it was supposed to. And I'm so, I wouldn't have had it any other way because it was the only way I, I would have learned those lessons. Yeah, but. I love that. Is there, as we're starting to wrap up here, just a few more questions. And one I want to know is out of the songs that you've released um, in in the last eight years, what get, is there a specific, or no, here's a better way to ask it. Which song has really brought a lot out of you in the creation and the execution process? Do you mean like which one is more closely like would represent me? Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a better way to say it is which one have you felt has been the, the, a better representation of you as an artist? That is a great question because I, I love so many different, I guess, styles of, of music where I've always felt like, why do I just have to pick one? Like, I love, you know, more singer-songwriter song, like, type songs. I love, like, that darker pop. I love, um, you know, like, folky songs. And yeah. I love to write in all of those different genres and when pretty much the last eight, nine years, people always said, no, like you have to pick one genre. You got to <laughs> stick with something. Just pick something and go with it. And I think since Spotify and like Apple Music and stuff like that, it's like it's really allowed people to kind of make anything they want because people can right. just pick and choose songs. You don't have to buy the whole album or download the whole album. It's like you can pick singles or release singles. And what I love about that is that now it allows me to write a song and whatever the song turns out to be, that's what I, you know, I'll just release it. And that's yeah. just what I make it. And I kind of like the song to speak for itself in that way. Because um, I could sit down and write a pop song or I could sit down and write a folky song or I could sit down, just whatever story I want to tell and whatever way I want to say it or make it sound and so with that being said, 
I, I couldn't really pick one because I think <laughs> it's all good. lyrically, I, I've always been very much of a lyric person too because I think one of my favorite songs that I released is Window Pane. Just yeah. because um, lyrically at the time that I wrote it, I was I was feeling a lot and I was going through, I just came off of the label and, oh no, I'd come off the label, yeah, when I wrote it, I'd just come off the label um, and I felt like my clock was ticking um, and I think that song, if I had to pick one, I would say that song just because like the piano and I think the sounds, I just love how emotional um, it it is. Yeah. But then I, but then again, like I also love rest on me and just the simple like guitar yeah. and vocals, you know, but yeah. I also love the song, the, the darker pop songs that I put out just because lyrically those, those meant mean a lot to me because I wrote it about a dark time in my life. So it's like, it's hard to pick one. Sure. Um, but I, but I think it speaks to who you are as a, as an artist all around that you have these different styles and you're, you're taking maybe some different elements lyrically and musically that mean a lot to you and you're crafting your own thing. And sometimes they may sound in similar genres, but in other instances they don't. And I, I think that's really cool and, and, you know, a nice all encompassing representation of, of you. Um, as we're wrapping up here, I do want to, I do have two final questions. One is one, uh, really is super easy. It's just, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? Yes. Yeah, so I am on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook so any of those, um, my Instagram, I will spell it out just because, <laughs> yes, yeah, so not a lot of people know how to spell my name, but so my Instagram is X E N I A dot music. And then my Twitter is just my first name. And, and, and my Facebook as well. Um, so any of those three platforms, I do mainly post on Instagram and Twitter, probably more. I, I tend to forget about Facebook. It's but. all good. I love that. Well, th that's super awesome. Well, last thing for you is if somebody is listening and they want to break into the music industry, right? Or do their own thing, be their own artist, however that expression takes form. Is there one piece of advice or one mantra that you have for you that you would like to impart on the person who's listening? I would say, I would say don't look at what anybody else is doing. Don't compare yourself in any way. Don't try to be relevant or popular. I would say just do, do what you're passionate about. Do what feels right to you. Do what feels real to you. Because at the end of the day, no matter what happens, at least, at least you're having fun. At least you're enjoying it and loving the art that you're releasing. Um, and definitely, I think 
if I could go back and do something over again, it would definitely be to not look at what anybody else is doing. Um, I think that was a, yeah. I love that. Senna, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, really. It was, it was fun. You're welcome. You're listening to After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and here to play us out one last time is Senna.
This podcast is powered by Roberts Media Group, your resource for podcast development. For more programming and advertising opportunities, please visit us at robertsmediagroup.co.